0: Impact of Influence, The Murdoch Family Murders. This is the unfolding story of a powerful South Carolina family, the mysterious deaths they are linked to, and our quest to bring you the truth. truth. Hello, friend. Matt Harris and Seton Tucker are always thankful and grateful that you spend time with us. It's much appreciated. And uh, the numbers show that it's growing and growing. So reach out to us, MurdochPodcast.com, Murdoch Podcast on Facebook, or MattHarrisPodcast at gmail.com. I was on American Greed on CNBC talking about the Murdoch financial crimes mostly. And those things are interesting because they shot that in, geez, leap months ago long before the Lafitte trial and all that, so you never know, as it's being recorded, how things change, plus you're there for whatever, four or five hours, and you're in for 20 seconds, and you hope they pick the 20 seconds, (laughs) where you sound somewhat intelligent. And then Dwayne sent uh, photos he had taken of, uh, they were shooting it in in Dwayne's studio, our producer, and uh, so I always look for the picture that makes me look the goofiest so I can have people make fun of me. So in this case, I chose one where my... Legs are wide open. People are describing it as man-spreading thing going on. So uh, people were hoping there wasn't a crotch cam and there was not. So that is good.
1: I, <laughs> I didn't notice when the pictures were posted, but someone pointed out that you look like you were doing ballet. And I was like, yes. I think you've missed your calling. What's that? Ballet.
0: Uh, Yes, Uh, I I can. Yeah, right. Uh, I am not flexible. Somebody said, uh, many comments said frog legs with pants. And, uh, (laughs) but I enjoy a good uh, bashing of me. It makes me feel good about myself. I enjoy it. I really do. It's funny to me. Uh, And then so I put up a better one. But anyway, so that uh, is still running on CNBC. There's a second part coming up. I don't know how much or little I'll be on that. You uh, attended the Murdoch murder hearing.
1: It was a very short hearing. It probably lasted less than five minutes. I was glad I went. It was actually delayed over an hour. There was another murder trial going on. So Mm. there was a delay. And just to kind of see the dynamics that were happening for the trial were pretty interesting. Everyone was just kind of waiting around. I was actually standing with. Riley Benson with News 2 in Charleston and Will Folks with Fitz News. When Harpootlian came up to us and basically told us we were wasting our time with this hearing, it was going to be very short, which was accurate. And Will Folks immediately kind of went into questioning him about the plea deal. And he asked him several questions and Harpootlian at each question just declined to comment.
0: And it was this rumored plea deal that was offered before Thanksgiving of what was it, 30 years? I thirty
1: think? yes, thirty years. Um, which at his age would probably be a lifetime. I mean, he's in his Mid-80s. early fifties, so yeah. he would be in his eighties.
0: Uh though that he's yet to be confirmed and Herbert just said no comment. And you have another well, we all have another hearing coming up this week. Is that going to be in Columbia?
1: It should be in Columbia because Judge Newman is in Columbia, and that is should happen on Friday. The time has yet to be announced, and I plan on attending that hearing. And I believe Alec Murdoch will be in attendance at that hearing.
0: One thing you pointed out to me when you were talking about what was going on was how the defense, Harpuley and Griffin, and prosecutor Creighton Waters talking congenial before the hearings. when this hearing starts, these guys get at each other, but there appears to be from that little look you saw a mutual respect to each other. They sitting there talking like two regular guys, just chatting it up.
1: I really think for them it's business.
0: Yep. I agree. I agree. So that brings us to our legal analyst. He was a former prosecutor and a former defense attorney. He is John Snyder. Hello, John. Hello everyone. Hello, Hello. Hello.
1: Actually, speaking of John being a former prosecutor and defense attorney, we had a listener question asking about why we see prosecutors and defense attorneys switching sides often. I think we mentioned in a previous episode that Dick Harputlian was a former state prosecutor and now he is a defense attorney. John, why is this?
2: The best answer is people that love to litigate and be in court a lot do criminal law and the object of the state is to hold the pe- people accountable when they break the law the object of a defense lawyer is to hold the state accountable to make sure that in the enforcement of their process of against people that may or may not have broken the law that that they're held accountable and that they protect constitutional rights that they protect those that that don't have the power of the state on their side and those that, that need assistance and advocacy. So a lot of people view view it as these two diametrically opposed sides, but those that are in the throes of it and that do it for a living, I believe see it more as doing the same job. You just have a different client that has different responsibilities with with that client.
0: Now I have a personal comment. If you want to address your emails, do send them to Matt Harris, podcast at gmail.com. Seton is innocent on this one. I am tired of the constant attacks on Dick Harputlian simply because he's defending Alec Murdoch. And the problem I have is to me, he's doing his job and there should everybody who is charged with a crime should have the best defense possible unfortunately some people don't have the money to have the best defense possible but a defense attorney's job is to make sure the person gets a fair trial uh john i think you've probably seen this not in this case in particular but in general this this kind of loathsome attitude toward defense attorneys and It bothers me personally. Your your thoughts?
2: It's a societal problem that we see more and more now, where early on, on early reports in the news, we decide who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. And the judicial system's job is to say, we're going to take evidence, we're going to apply the evidence to the law, and then we'll decide whether somebody's guilty or not guilty we We all have cousins and 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 people that we know that are really good people that made a bad mistake. and they they need a good advocate, just like there are really bad people that do bad things and they need justice. And so um, i I understand the 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 passion behind people being unhappy with with what he's doing, but I do agree we have to have the process so that when somebody is convicted, there's no question about the process or whether they were done wrong or whether they were actually innocent and never should have been charged. That's why that perspective of, I can't believe you'd be, you know, you defend somebody and you say, well, if you were accused of something that you didn't do, you would want that same type of defense. And and or if you were accused of something that you did do, you would really want somebody to advocate on your behalf to get a, a, the best outcome possible. Not somebody that just takes your file, walks in, and does nothing with it. So he is doing his job. It is an unpleasant job, and it is a just like Atticus Fence and To Kill a Mockingbird. That was a hard case that, that Atticus decided to take on. But no one that I know that's ever read that. Book thinks he was wrong to have taken it,
0: or like John Adams defending the British is one of famous one that comes up a lot.
2: Those men in, in Boston were entitled to the best defense possible, and John Adams put his public passion to the side and and did his job and and did it well. And he's one of the most revered people in our in our country, and and part of that's because he had the he, he took a principled approach to something that where people felt very strongly and. And he did the right thing.
0: Now on to the case, Seton.
1: Fair enough. Um, next, I kind of want to go into this defense motion to unshackle Alec Murdoch. In the motion, they say that Alec hasn't engaged in any behavior suggesting he is a threat to the courtroom or will somehow escape it. In the prosecution's response, they say they will leave it up to the judgment of the court. So, John, do you think that Alec will be shackled or?
2: I think during the trial he won't. Again, this is this is one of those like, would someone in the same circumstances be treated the same way, and then the court will decide based on that. I understand the argument. He is accused of murder. If it was just financial crimes, I think it's a no-brainer. But because of the murder charges, I think it'll it'll be what's historically been done. In court, since South Carolina will be the result,
0: they mention a motion in the U.S. Supreme Court case, uh, and a case is actually that of forbidden shackling criminal defendants during a trial without a quote special need, because shackling is a quote inherently prejudicial practice, and quote should be permitted only where justified by an essential state interest specific to each trial. And Harpulian goes on to say what what you said. The state's argument would be, well, we. Shackle, all these guys. Arputlian says most murder defendants do not have TV crews filming every pre-trial hearing. Those who do, like Mr. Murdoch, have a constitutional right to be unshackled unless there is an articulable security issue specific to the individual defendant. Basically saying the jury pool is seeing a guy in shackles. It will affect how they see this court case.
2: I see his perspective and i understand their argument but I, it, again it's going to be what's historically been done and there are other there are other restraint methods where maybe he's got on a, a shock belt or some some other device law enforcement has a has a duty in this as well to keep the public safe and to keep the courthouse safe and so i see the argument and i think i think the court's going to decide based on what's historically been done
1: and it could also be something that's brought up on appeal if he was found guilty and they say that this unduly prejudiced the jury by seeing him in shackles.
0: Constantly in the news, every pretrial hearing, which Hart has warned, there's going to be a bunch. So let's move to the next one.
1: So next, in our last episode, we talked about the defense's motion to exclude false testimony destroyed by the state. It's, I think a lot of it had to do with the shirt that Alec was wearing on the night of the murders. Uh, the defense claims that the shirt was destroyed by the testing that was done by the state. We have yet to see a response by the state. My question to you is, will we see a response, or will this be something that is litigated in a hearing?
2: I think it's something that will be litigated in a hearing, or it'll be a, it'll be a limited response. Reading some of the motions that we're gonna be discussing here today, there's a lot of stuff getting put out into the into the public stream. When you read one side, you may be like, well, that doesn't sound very good for the state. But then the state in a hearing will be like, well, here's, here's what's really going on.
0: We have been trying to say that throughout that like you hear these things doesn't mean these things are facts that are leaked and doesn't mean they're going to be spoken about at trial.
1: And we've only heard one side because we have heard from the defense, but we have not heard from the. Prosecution
0: on these on these particular motions, correct.
1: I want to move on to what Judge Newman ruled in the hearing on Friday. He said that Alec Murdoch would have to attend any hearing that addressed substantive issues, and so I guess he's requiring Alec Murdoch to be present. Uh, Why would Judge Newman make this ruling?
2: One, it protects him. It, it protects the court's decisions on review from appellate courts. Two, he has a constitutional right to be there because it, his substantial rights are being affected based on these decisions. He has a constitutional right to hear them, to know what's going on. And it also prevents law enforcement from saying, well, gosh, it's a, it's a real hassle to bring him to this courthouse or that courthouse. And can't we just do it by video? And I I think the judge is saying, no, if you're looking to put a man in prison, he ought to have the opportunity to be sitting there when when you're talking about him. I agree with this ruling. It's not a pro doing things right decision. It doesn't favor the state or the defense. It's just the right thing to do.
1: He doesn't really need to attend it if it's just something addressing scheduling issues or that sort of thing. But if it's something important, he needs to attend.
2: That's right. And they don't and you don't want them later on on appeal saying, well, I didn't have a chance to be at my hearing or whatever. And, be, and the judge like, no, I made a I made a ruling from the batch that you you had to be
0: there. Well, Will and his group at Fitz News had a lot of leaks this week to report. Seton, do you want to yeah. go over this?
1: Well, they talked about some pretty graphic injuries to Paul's head.
0: Describe me won't be nearly as as graphic as it was in the article but there are two things that jumped out at this in the spitz news article that are not so graphic one is that it appears to confirm what was in the other motion uh, a week ago or so that there was blood on the walls which now pretty much i wouldn't say confirms because this is a leak and that was what this the, the defense said but he was inside that feed room when he was shot which is was news last week when we first heard it because we had heard he was halfway in and halfway out the kennel had various rumors about that so that that he puts him in the feed room just a change and we had wondered why Alec could not roll Paul's body over because Alec is much larger than Paul but after reading what the scene must have looked like it's possible in my head that it was such a gruesome scene that maybe he could not physically couldn't roll over, but just the idea of rolling the body over when your son is in, in, in such a, a graphically bad scene. and
1: Severe head injury. Severe
0: head injury. And even rolling might cause more damage to the body. So he might be thinking, I just can't do this. Or he starts to move it. Things deteriorating. So that's the things I wanted to point out without getting graphic on it. What was in the Fitz news articles, what's your question to John?
1: The description was so disturbing to me that I would have personally have a hard time looking at those photographs as a juror. I'm super squeamish. John, how is that addressed when picking a jury?
2: Well, this is standard boo-hoo defense motion to say, Oh judge, if you show those pictures, the jury is going to be so upset that it'll, it'll inflame their passion and they won't be able to listen to the, to the law. And the judge will say, suck it up, buttercup. The case law is very clear that evidence is evidence and evidence of the murder are pictures of, of the decedent uh, in the state that they were found in to preserve the evidence. Um, it is uncomfortable. It is, it is murder. And on the other side of that is somebody's life was taken and, you know, somebody's liberty is at stake. And so you don't want to exclude evidence just because it might make people sick. I think you talk to anybody that's done criminal law or uh, maybe some of the more serious personal injury stuff, and there's a lot of haunting that goes on in that vocation. You, you have to sift through pictures. You're, you're reading descriptions of awfulness, and you still have to do your job. It is uncomfortable. It's it's awful, but it is an important part of the process. And case law will support those pictures being entered into evidence and and being used as part of the state's uh, case and maybe even part of their their opening or closing arguments.
0: Uh, Would would it be something that defense or state would ask the jurors or the judge would ask the, the jury crew, are you capable of looking at very graphic photos
2: absolutely so you you I would say all right uh, mr Harris I understand that you have a from talking to you you have a gag reflex I do okay if we show pictures of someone who was murdered and in in the state of their murder will you be able to look at look at that and still not be swayed just by the image I think so okay will you be able would you be able to know that that image
0: exists. Take a little break and uh, get you ready for some traveling you've got coming up, some international trip where you want to be able to at least get around, right? So you want to learn the language of the country that you're going to. You want to experience it with a little bit of knowledge going in, and you can get a lot of bit of knowledge when you use Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Impact of Influence listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 40% off. That's 40% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 40% off at rosettastone.com today.
2: And still listen to the laws the judge gives it and then apply that law to the facts i would and so you'll you would be asked questions about could you put your feelings same thing sitting with you like we understand these are going to be unpleasant and horrible pictures do you think you can put those to the side yeah can you put your your feelings about it to the side do the, do the right thing that needs to happen in this
0: case. I want to add something, but it's not a question. Just for something in the Fitz News article was the phone of Paul's found on his attacks. And that was different than we had heard. At one point, it was under his body. So maybe it originally was. But Ellick claimed the phone fell from Paul's pocket when he tried to roll him over. And then he put the phone there because he realized, according to the Fitz News leak, Realized it was evidence that he didn't want to handle it anymore. And also, we see in the article, according to Alec's attorney, that Paul's phone was dead by the time uh, Sled got it. Next,
1: let's move on to another motion that was filed by Alec's defense team. It was a motion for a bill of particulars requesting the state articulate the motive for Alec Murdoch killing his wife and son. Uh, I, you know, obviously, the financial crimes could be a motive. Uh, the defense says that this would allow them to identify relevant inculpatory or exculpatory evidence in advance of the trial, and that it would also be unfair to ambush Murdoch at the trial with a surprise theory. So first, my question to you, John, is what is a motion for bill of particulars?
2: A motion for a bill of particulars is a motion that the defense files Requesting the state to give further factual allegations to support the charges that are in the indictment. An indictment will have maybe a brief recitation of fact that meets the legal standards for the different elements of a crime. And a bill of particulars is a request by the defense counsel to provide even more. Facts that the state contends support the elements of the charges in the indictment.
1: John, I know you told me you personally had a experience filing one of these. What happened in your experience?
2: Well, it's interesting. You read Harputlian's motion and he, you know, he goes through this. It's typical in federal cases. It used to be part of South Carolina's historical Crime procedure, but then there was a little change in indictment, so it's become less used, but it's still available as a remedy. North Carolina very similarly has something, and I and I filed a a motion for bill particulars in in a case, and the the judge the judge basically was like, Mr. Snyder, I I you know I I recognize that this is on the books, but also recognize. (laughs) <laughs> nothing's going to happen with this. <laughs> don't, 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 don't waste the court's time. We're not doing this. When you read Harputlian's motion, what he's saying is, hey, court, I've been given 1.2 million pages of documents re- related to financial crimes. My client in this particular case is charged with murder. I don't see any factual allegations or or evidentiary issues that connect the financial crimes to the murder and so we would like the state to be to come in and upon the court's order give give what facts they can contend, contend connect the financial crimes to the actual murder
0: so this is the the question then I have about motive is we had discussed that the state doesn't have to prove motive, but yet the defense team is saying, we want to hear the motive. Explain that to me, John.
2: The defense team is saying, all right, what do you all contend the reason for the murder to be? If you contend it was in furtherance of the financial crimes, tell us that if you contend, it was just a crime of passion, tell us that. That's the basis of their request. So motive is not the state's requirement, but what Harpootlian is arguing here is that in the absence of, in in, in this kind of multiple faceted case, we have added to this all the financial crimes as being part of the same thing. Where's the state contending that turning point was like, did Maggie discover the financial crimes and and confront Alec about it? Like, is there a particular flexion point in this that caused the murders? That's ultimately what the defense is asking. The state's saying, hey, it's it's obvious what what the basis of the murder is based on this continuing criminal enterprise and it and it beginning to all break down.
0: Is it possible that they're asking for the connection to the financial crimes? To the murder, because if the state doesn't have one, could the defense team say these financial crimes are irrelevant to be even part of this trial?
2: I think that's where they're headed. I think that's the. I think that's the basis, and and they're going to argue, well, judge, just coming in in here and saying my client's a bad guy, therefore he had to have committed the murder. That's not enough. That they need to have physical evidence that ties Alex to. This murder, and and I, I want to go on record to saying I'm not advocating one way or saying this is there's any merit to it, but I'm but this is what I believe they're they're doing with with this motion. Yeah, okay. they're, they're saying, oh, he, you know, you can't say he's a bad guy all the time, and that seems to be the theory. Yeah, you know, from our side is the defense. That seems to be the theory of the case. The theory of their case is. He did all these other bad things. Why wouldn't he commit murder? And their ultimate argument is, if that's all the evidence there is, that's not en- that's not enough to prove that he's guilty of murder.
0: You just can't go in and spend three days listing all the bad things that a person did. I'm just talking a generic murder case. All the three things, you know, two days of all the bad things a person did in their life if it doesn't directly relate to the murder. That's right. Okay. see.
1: Let's move on to Russell Lafitte. He was the former banker who has now been convicted federally for a number of crimes. And just last night, he filed a motion for a new trial and for a judgment acquittal. In this motion, the defense contends that the court erred in dismissing the jury following nearly 10 hours of deliberations only to have a newly constituted jury return a guilty verdict in 40 minutes and that the court improperly excused jurors. And in this, they cite part of a transcript.
0: Juror 88 says, I've been taking notes clearly. I have my decision made, but I started to feel very anxious due to some of the reactions to my decision. The court then says, do you feel like you can perform or do you want me to replace you with an alternate? Juror 88, your honor, I don't want to be replaced, but, and I'm usually very strong when someone is butting up, but I don't want to be trialed for my decision. you are not sure what that word is. The court says, well, whatever decision you make is your call. Juror number 88, yes, sir. The court, the issue is, Are you able to perform your duties as a juror? Juror number 88. At this point, no. The court. Okay, I'm going to honor your request to replace you then.
1: I have read through a portion of the trial testimony regarding the replacement of the juror. And in this testimony, they talk about these two notes from the same juror. One talks about needing an antibiotic and they could delay that for two hours. And then the second note says feeling pressure to change my vote. And then there's another juror that also sends a note and says, Your Honor, can you please call an alternate as I am experiencing anxiety and unable to clearly make a decision. Also in this transcript, they talk about it being a holiday weekend. John, let's get to it.
2: I read the court transcript uh, between the, the attorneys and the judge and you guys, can everybody can find those online. It's an interesting issue. And it is one that will be litigated on appeal. And it is one that I believe the, the circuit court that hears this, the federal court, if they decide that it was improper to dismiss that juror, then Lafitte will get a new trial. Um, because, you, you know, the. And and what they're arguing is not only did you dismiss the juror, but like you dismissed maybe you dismissed a juror that was going to vote our way, and you replaced him with someone who clearly didn't. And now our guy's staring at an extensive federal prison sentence. Hmm. Some research will be done, and briefs will be written that'll that'll lay out what what the positions are of each side. The government's going to say you had a right to object. We agreed to this process, similar to what the judge said when everybody came back for court. To say we all agreed to this process. You can't object now. And what what Lafitte's attorneys were saying is like we agreed to go going and talking to him. We didn't agree that you would immediately dismiss them without discussion from us. And that will be the basis of the appeal. And especially now that we have. The benefit of the transcript of the conversation between the judge and the juror, that juror wasn't saying, take me off the jury. He or she was just saying, here's what's going on. Hmm. Judges hate to be overturned. They don't like it. They just don't like it. I mean, I had a case on appeal that got overturned and the judge is now on the federal bench and he gave me a hard time because he got asked about that case <laughs> during, his, <laughs> sure. during his confirmation uh, interviews. Really, And we're, and, and we're good friends. Haven't appeared in front of him in, in, in twenty in a long, long time. But but it you know it it really bothered him. Some judges don't care, uh, but federal judges all care. If this case were to get overturned as a result of that, I, the judge will be unhappy, and he and and the judge will feel like, well, I gave I gave them a chance to to object and to suggest an alternative, and they didn't. So we'll we'll see what happens there. But but the outlier is the conviction could be overturned based on this and and ordered for a new trial
1: what about the fact that it was a holiday weekend and it appears that there may have been some incentive to want to wrap this up before the thanksgiving holiday
2: you're always going to have something somebody you know you got 12 people somebody's always going to need to go somewhere and do something and that can't be enough to do things one way or the other. The other, the counter argument is, as a defense lawyer, you might want to do a trial at the holidays because people might be in a more charitable mood, and so you know that they, that they're that they're less likely to convict. So much of it is just kind of educated guessing, and very little of it is predictable. But this this isn't this is an issue, and there's and and it will it will go up on appeal because I I do think there's. A question, and the courts will decide whether, you know, they may say, Look, that was in the judge's discretion, conviction upheld. And that's, that's that.
1: Well, let's talk about the logistics of what happens to Russell in the interim. Does he remain out on bond or will he be sentenced first? How does this work?
2: It depends on what the pre sentencing report is recommending. If they're recommending active time, if they're recommending extensive home confinement if they're recommending. So the goal of the criminal justice system ultimately is restoration, is, is to make people whole. So how do you do that? You pay your penalty and then how do you get restitution? So Lafitte may wind up with maybe limited time in federal prison and a whole bunch of time on house arrest or that kind of thing. And, and, and at the same time, you don't want to put off getting credit. If he's got if, if he's looking at a 10-year sentence, let's say, you don't want to wait 2 years to start your 10-year sentence. He and his lawyers will be working with the with the marshal's office and the post conviction sentencing folks to, to do what's best for him and his family. And and that also addresses the fact that he was convicted of
0: multiple Crimes.
1: Or you may just want to stay home another two years if it's going to take
0: that time and spend it with your family. Yeah, or just, just start ticking that clock so you're out of there when you're a relatively young man.
2: Yeah, and it depends on how much time the the state's going. And, and obviously, you could see this issue on appeal— There might be a real compelling argument that he gets a new trial. It may be that the feds come back and say, all right, you want to you want to enter a guilty plea now. And here's here's the plea arrangement. So, Um, Lots of things could happen, um, but they'll all be very structured and, and confined to federal criminal procedure.
1: So they will do the sentencing hearing prior to determining whether this appeal will be
0: heard.
2: I believe so. I I don't, I don't know that they're going to hold up on that.
0: All right. Before I let you go, John, some, uh, comments headed your way. This from Stephanie. She says, love your podcast. I'm obsessed with everything Murdoch. I love how y'all tell your story in straightforward detail and no fluff. I like how you have experts and people from both sides of the stories. And I especially love John Snyder's explanations. I have several times commented out loud. Great point, John Snyder. I never (laughs) thought of that. But this is even better for you. This is from an anonymous source, I think. Y'all are fabulous. Love Matt and Seton. Confession. I have a huge crush on John Snyder. His voice. As my grandmother used to say about Engelbert Humperdinck. Quote, he can put his shoes under my bed anytime. Best Murdoch <laughs> podcast.
2: <laughs> That's well, wonderful. That, that was sweet of my wife to
0: send a, <laughs>
2: that comment.
0: <laughs> no, your wife would never say that that nice of a thing about you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, the Hubbardink, uh reference was a dead giveaway. It's not her. But thank you very much for those, those, those sweet emails of
0: encouragement. Thanks, John. Talk to you soon has later bye. Bye. bye and we have more emails and comments and we'd love it if you would send us more comments murdoch podcast on facebook matt harris podcast at gmail.com reach out to us with your comments write them on your apple podcast reviews or spotify and uh, share the episode that'd be cool rate and comment Uh,
1: This was one of the reviews that came through an Apple podcast. It says, you guys are incredible shills. Your handling of the trial was atrocious. I think they were talking about the Russell Lafitte trial. You guys should be arrested for personating podcasters. (laughs) And I'm being kind.
0: Oh, they're being kind. Thank you then for being (laughs) kind.
1: (laughs) Which I am certainly glad that they do not arrest people for impersonating podcasters.
0: I think once you talk in a microphone and Put it up as a podcast, you are then a podcaster, which means not a hill of beans. I get you, give you that.
1: For good or bad, for good <laughs> or bad, maybe bad some days, good other days. Yeah. But, um, uh,
0: but arrested is a, ah, I guess we should do a little time. I, 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 we appreciate even those kind of comments, actually. I'm not sure how to improve on. Getting to the point where at least not arrested, maybe a small fine for impersonating podcasters. <laughs>
1: There's nothing really constructive about that uh, review, okay. but that's okay.
0: Yeah, do what you got to do. We can take it. Then uh, we have, she signs that Your biggest fan, Carrie. Congratulations for getting Joe on the podcast. That was our forensic scientist we had on, on the last episode. Uh, so interesting, seasoned and factual, great, great broadcast voice, charming and warm. Wonderful addition to your programming and adds to your credibility, a real feather in your cap because he is tops in his fields. Way to go. Keep it the good work. Love your podcast.
1: That was one of my favorite episodes, I will have to say.
0: And you can check out his podcast, which is called Body Bags. Uh, It is, of course, Joseph Scott Morgan.
1: Also, Uh, before we go, I told my friend, we lived in Alabama while my husband was doing his training and- one of our former neighbors contacted me and said that we have a huge fan from Alabama. His name is Ben Riddle Hoover. So we appreciate you. Shout Thanks out to him. for listening.
0: Again, if you want to reach out to us, Murdoch Podcast, Facebook, and Matt Harris Podcast at gmail.com. We are always grateful that you spend any time with us. Please share the episode and the podcast with all your pals and enemies. And if we're not arrested for impersonating podcasters, we will talk soon.
1: Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland news producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mahalovic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you who killed is an evergreen podcast killer podcasts and slow burn media production subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows